Welcome to Feel Better, Live More Bite Size, your weekly dose of positivity and optimism to get you ready for the weekend. Today's episode is brought to you by AG1 from Athletic Greens, one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've come across. It contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes, and so much more, and I myself take it regularly. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more to access a very special offer. They are giving my listeners five fantastic travel packs and one year's supply of vitamin D free of charge with your first order. See your details at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Today's clip is from episode 228 of the podcast with the brilliant Johan Hari, author of the book Stolen Focus why you can't pay attention. Now, our ability to focus and pay attention is at the heart of living a happy and meaningful life. In this clip, Johan explains how our attention is being stolen and shares some steps that we can take to start getting it back. Our ability to focus and put our attention where we want it to be, I think it's literally what underpins our experience of being human, our relationships, our passions, our hobbies, you know, our interactions with others, our ability to know who we are. We need focus to be able to do that. Yet focus is something that very few of us have in the way that we would ideally want. I think that's so important. The more I looked at this, the more I realized this is the foundational issue. If we yeah. don't deal with this, we can't deal with anything else. If you can't pay attention, you can't achieve your goals in life. If anyone thinks about a time you've achieved a goal, right? Whether it was being a good parent, setting up a business, writing a book, whatever it might be, that goal required a lot of sustained focus, yeah. right? If your focus breaks down, and I think there's good evidence our focus is breaking down, you're less able to achieve your goals for yourself, right? Which obviously is a, is very a very painful thing for a person to experience. Also, you're less able to form connections with other people. Sustained connections require lots of attention. To have a good relationship, you have to be able to pay attention, whether it's a friendship, a romantic relationship, whatever it is. You have to be able to pay attention to yeah. the other person. I think most people can feel the truth of of what's happening to us you know there's for example one small study found that the average college student now focuses on any one task for 65 seconds in fact the median amount of time they focus is 19 seconds the average worker sits at their desk for eight hours a day but is only actually focused on their work for three hours a day so it's like we're living in a culture that is pouring itching powder over us all the time. We can feel this, this dissolution happen. With each year that passes, things that require deep focus, like reading a book, become more and more like running up and down escalator. And I wanted to figure out, well, why is this happening to us? And most importantly, how do we get our minds back? How do we restore our attention and focus? It's an amazing guy named Professor Earl Miller, who's one of the leading neuroscientists in the world. I went to interview him at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And he said to me, look, there's one thing you need to understand about the human brain more than anything else. You can only consciously think about one thing at a time. That's it, right? This is a fundamental fact about the human brain. The human brain has not significantly changed in 40,000 years. It's not going to change on any time frame we're going to see. 
you could only think about one thing at once. But we have fallen for a mass delusion. The average teenager now believes they can follow seven forms of media at the same time. But what happens when Professor Miller's colleagues get people into labs and test this? They look at, well, what happens when people think they're doing lots of things at once? And what they discover is, in fact, you're not doing lots of things at once. You're juggling between them. Your consciousness papers over it. It gives a seamless impression of consciousness. But actually, you're juggling very rapidly between them. So let's say, for example, I've left it in your kitchen, but I've got my phone over there, right? Let's imagine when you were talking, I just glanced at my text, right? My text. I take out my phone and glanced at my text. It feels like oh, I can still listen to Ron. It's, it's one second to glance at my text. But what happens is I'm focused on you. I glance at my text and my brain refocuses. Oh, my friend Rob's texted me. Oh, his mum's got out of hospital. Right. And then I have to refocus on you, right? And it turns out this refocusing takes a significant amount yeah. of your mental bandwidth. And that's just one switch, right? And it comes with a whole series of costs that have been shown in labs. So one is it just takes a certain amount of your brain power to do switching. Imagine I switch the text and then I'm like, oh, what was on Facebook? And what's on the TV in the corner over there? And what's you can see how that begins to jam up my, my mental bandwidth. Another way is when you're switching a lot, you start to make mistakes. And then you have to go back and correct your mistakes. That takes a certain amount of your time. Another effect that you get when you switch tasks a lot is an effect on your memory. To convert your experiences into memories takes a certain amount of mental power. And if that power is instead being deployed on constantly switching between things, actually you just remember less of what you experience. Yeah. The fourth effect is that you, you become much less creative because creativity requires the space to let your mind wander. When you let your mind wander, you think back over things without even feeling effortful. You think back over the experiences you've had, you know, you connect different things together. That's how new ideas pop together. That's where creativity comes from. If your mind is jammed up with switching, you, you become significantly yeah. less creative. When your brain is wandering, in fact, it's doing lots of crucial things. Yeah. Most important is it's making sense of what you've experienced, right? It's going back over what you've experienced. It's filtering it. It's thinking, what, what, how, what did that mean, right? When you've got space to mind wander, you yeah. think about what the experiences you've had mean. You begin to anticipate the future. You begin to think, oh, what, what will happen next, right? You, 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 it begins to make connections between the different things you've learned. And that mind-wandering is an absolutely crucial yeah. form of thought. And we are living in a huge crisis of mind-wandering because at the moment, we're in this awful combination where we are neither spotlight-focused a lot of the time, nor are we mind-wandering. We're jammed up with switching, which is the, the worst combination of all, right? We're, we're operating, so many of us, as a kind of low-grade version of who we could be. Exactly. That's a brilliant way of putting it. That's exactly right. You know, we're, we've, we're downgrading who we are and we're so used to it that we think it's normal, right? But it's not normal. I think many of us probably don't realise what the over-unintentional use of technology is doing to our brains and who we are as people. I spent a lot of time talking to people in Silicon Valley who designed key aspects of the world in which we now live, in which our kids now spend so much of their time, the key aspects of social media apps and, and, and other aspects of the internet. And I remember certain moments with them, it was fascinating to realise, oh, even though they designed these things, they're not immune to these problems themselves. There's a wonderful man named Dr. James Williams, who was a Google engineer, who as subsequently was so horrified by what they were doing, has quit and become, I think, probably the most important philosopher of attention in the world at the moment. And when I went to go and see James in Moscow, he told me about this moment that was really important for him. He spoke at a tech conference and he's speaking to the, exactly the people who are designing our world, right? And he said to them, 
is there anyone here who wants to live in the world that we're designing? And nobody put up their hand. There's another moment with Tristan Harris, an amazing Google engineer who's become a dissident. He said to me, he had this moment when he was working on Gmail and they wanted to increase the number of users, but they particularly wanted to increase the number of times a day a user opened the app. And one of his colleagues had an idea. He said, why don't we make it so that whenever you receive an email, your phone vibrates a little bit. And everyone said, that's a good idea. And a week later, Tristan was walking around San Francisco and he just starts hearing these vibrations, like the chirruping of birds all around him. And he suddenly realizes, we did that. And that was happening all over the world as a result of one yeah. colleague's decision. In fact, he calculated about a year later that they were responsible. That one decision was responsible for 11 billion interruptions every day to people's day. But the moment we live in a gap between what many of us want to do and what many of us feel we can do, and together we can close that gap. So some of that is about empowering people in their everyday life to know more about these factors that are invading our attention and empower them to fight back at a personal level. And there's all sorts of techniques. I, I'm going to give you a very simple example. I have in my office and in my flat, a what's called a K-safe. It's very simple. It's a little plastic safe. You take the lid off, you put your phone in it, you put the lid on, you turn a dial at the top and you, it'll lock your phone away for anything between five minutes and a week, right? Every day I lock my phone away for four hours a day. Every day, just so I can get- really? Every day. Every day without fail. I, I find that idea of a K-safe interesting because on one level, it's kind of like we want our smartphones. And again, there's so many benefits of them. <laughs> But I wonder so much that we're not going to downgrade and get a dumb phone or be more intentional with our use, which I know is very, very difficult. We're physically going to buy something to put it in a bank, but we can't, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of something, I think it says something about where we've got to as a society, but doesn't I think it, it? It reminds me a lot of what Tristan Harris said when he testified before the Senate. He said, look, you can try having self-control, but every time you open yeah, these apps, there are 10,000 engineers at the other side of the screen trying to break your self-control. I think most people, if you ask them, is your phone hijacking your attention, taking you away from some of the things that you would probably rather be doing in your life? I think a lot of people would say, yeah, yeah, I can sort of see that, right? I can see that, but I can't, I can't resist. And just to share... What I started doing a couple of summers ago, I remember so well, I decided, right, this August, the kids are off school. I want to be present with them. I want to spend time with them. I don't want to get sucked in to the vortex of social media and see what's going on. And so I decided, right, this August, I'm going off. I deleted the apps from my phone. I think at the time, I don't know what was on it, but Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever I was on my phone at that time, I deleted them. And I remember like the first few days and you just keep picking it up and almost reflexively, oh, there's no app there. Okay, put it away. It took, I think it took maybe five days until that had stopped. And then it was just this gorgeous calm and relaxation and an enhanced ability to focus and be present. No sort of distraction when you want to be with your wife or your kids. And it was incredible. Now, I also will acknowledge, because sometimes you do this, people go, well, that's not a solution, right? And you obviously in the book talk about, we can't just put it all on personal responsibility. But is there anything in that you would resonate with? We've all become accustomed 
to all throughout the day receiving the thin, insistent signals of the internet, hearts, likes, especially people in the public eye in the way that you and I are, you know, hearts and likes. And when you're withdrawn, when those are gone, it's like the world has fallen silent for a while, right? And it feels rather eerie. It's like, well, it's hard to be with ordinary life if you become accustomed to these signals. I was really struck by, I had the similar thing to you, which is when I stopped, I had these after the initial relief, I had these enormous cravings. But then once I kind of got through that withdrawal, I was amazed, because I had honestly thought maybe my brain is just a bit broken. And I was amazed by how rapidly my full mental capacities came back. Yeah. I could read like I did when I was in my early 20s, but all, basically all day if I wanted to. When you go off these platforms and you drastically reduce your consumption of tech for a few weeks, you start to feel different. You, could, you start to see how you could live an alternate reality. And you wrote in the book that you are a better person when you're not on Twitter. And it just made me think, you know, it's, it's a useful exercise, isn't it, for all of us to do. What kind of activities are we doing when we're the best version of ourselves. Hope you enjoyed that bite-sized clip. Do spread the love by sharing this episode with your friends and family. And if you want more, why not go back and listen to the original full conversation with my guest. If you enjoyed this episode, I think you will really enjoy my bite-sized Friday email. It's called The Friday Five. And each week I share things that I do not share on social media. It contains five short doses of positivity, articles or books that I'm reading, quotes that I'm thinking about, exciting research I've come across, and so much more. I really think you're going to love it. The goal is for it to be a small yet powerful dose of feel good to get you ready for the weekend. You can sign up for it free of charge at drchatterjee.com forward slash Friday Five. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Make sure you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back next week with my long form conversation on Wednesday and the latest episode of Bite Science next Friday. <laughs>